Hello there, ladies and gents. My name is Joe Clark, and I'll be your DM for the foreseeable future. Introducing our cast, we have Hugh O'Connor as Braish, a human forge cleric of the god of Gwivnu. Richard Brett as Ben Chessington, a cocky, overconfident human bard. Stephen Guiney playing Crown Crook, a Goliath monk of the open hand with a tragic history with humans. Ray Carroll as Ilrun Keefiel, a seafaring half-elf wizard with a distaste for the shackles of governed lands. And this is Dungeons and Dragons. Everyone's met with austerity. God knows I have, but I try to see the good in things. Losing my parents, I was taken in by a Goliath. Not the most caring of father figures from the outset, but he saw the potential in me, like a, like a raw chunk of ore. And I guess he wasn't the only one with his eyes on me. I really applied myself to smithing. I just found so much peace and solace in the act of creation. Putting all of myself into the piece, whatever it might be, it cleared my mind and cleansed my soul. You just you just come to a state of higher understanding of well worship. That's how I met Gwivnu. Not not through dogma or fear of the unknown, he's like a muse. Mentor who appreciates the craft like I do. You know, people are like a lump of unformed metal. Everyone has the potential to become something greater than themselves and serve a greater purpose, even if it's just their own. All they need is to be given the opportunity, the heat of the forge to shape themselves as well. I want to be the hammer and show people a path of the nightmare, even if it's just getting them out of their rot, back in the path of positivity, it's something, it's hope. Well this, well I'm no fool, I, I know it's a dangerous world out there, you gotta keep your wits about you and prepare for the worst. I know people can change, but faith is a fickle mistress. I can do all this only through he who gives me strength, but his strength is out of a guiding hand. Name's Ben. Ben Chestington? Y'all should know me from such hits as What's the Matter, Seth? All the Love I Can Give New? Small bands such as Diafell Straits and uh, Ben and the Randy Boys? <laughs> Thank you kindly. Anyway. I suppose you're wondering how a child and unassuming bards ended up in a situation like this. Well, I guess you could say it came from the kindness of my own heart, and you'll hear all about that later. I grew up in a cozy little home in Tyrefell with my dear old mom. Pop disappeared from my lives before I even had a face in my head to forget. And after all my time trading and performing in the Valley of Shaw, I ain't never seen a man like my mama described. I found out pretty young I had a place in my heart for music. Used to whistle along to a bit of bird song while me and Mama were planting in the garden. Well, 
Whenever I'd be whistling, the little birdies would just drop off to sleep right next to me. Apparently my pops could do the same thing, and not so long after, Mama got me a loot so I'd learn to control this whole deal. Growing up, I found my way into the local taverns, noble houses and the like. This silver tongue of mine was a real treat for talking nobles into handing over a nice tip for the entertainment. A gift like that set me up nicely with a small family gang who lived outside of town. The Randy boys treated me right and I'll tell you, I had no problem helping them out as they needed. You know, I've always wanted to see what was beyond the valley. Boys always used to laugh at me for that, but honestly, it's been a few years since I've seen them. I'm that bit stronger than hell, but still no more suspicious. It's another small gift of mine, I suppose. Everyone always underestimates the bard until they find themselves a little lighter in the pocket. So, I guess all I'm really saying is, don't judge the title of the song before the melody sweeps you far, far away. Growing up under a Goliath bodybuilder and a renowned javelin thrower, one naturally builds a love for exercise. Aron, my father, he could throw a boulder over his shoulder and not strain himself one bit. It's terrifying and enthralling all at once to see such an act of effortless strength. I knew my mother, she could do the same, but throwing javelins at lightning speed is arguably more intimidating. Every day after school I would play ball and run around with my best friend Schlieff until day turned into night like the wheels of a cart. She said I was the fastest runner in Diefeld, but she was just as fast. I've seen her cover 100 foot like it's a stone's throw. One night we play around until we can no longer see light for shadows, and so she stays in a bedstead on the ground floor. My parents put me to bed upstairs and I fall soundly asleep. Before I can awaken fully, I'm deafened by the sound of screams. The crackle of hell flames beneath me. I can hear the echoes of her cries every time I close my eyes. In a most panicked state, I jumped out of my bedroom window. If I wasn't the fastest runner in Diafel before, I certainly was now. I must have ran half the night before my legs gave out and I collapsed from exhaustion. When I came to, the hustle and bustle of Diafeld City filled my ears, and the smell of the bakery ten feet to my back made my stomach feel like it had never been full. As I fully awaken, I hear talk of an act of arson in the outskirts of the city. A loan shark demanded money from this family of Goliaths, and there was a discrepancy which led to three lives being lost. Most dire of straits, I'll commit my first act of treason as I grab a bread roll and run for my life. I don't want to talk about the years following, but suffice it to say, they were marred by bloodshed. After some time, I came to a breaking point. I had a spiritual awakening and sought out a monastery where I could use my immense agility for good. That leads me to today, where I reside in the Valley of Shaw, using each day to strive towards enlightenment. My name is Ilderun, the greatest captain of the seas, as far as I'm concerned. I can sail any ship you give me, or should I say, any ship I choose to take. Docking the ship, however, that's not my style. My past is clouded, but I'm told at a young age I was abandoned at the front door step of a school of the arcane, more of a monastery, but no god can command me. Fortunately, the stint at this scholastic prison didn't last into my adulthood, if you can really call a 16-year-old an adult. Didn't see the sense in their rules, I just wanted to get my own. What are a few gems and coins to a holy man anyway? They didn't sign up for that life. I learned enough magic while I was there to make my escape. From there on, I stowed away on a ship, learning as I went. No real mentor, never stayed long enough to know anyone. I saw a lot in those days. 
The raiders of the sea were always a big trouble to us out in the waters. But I was able to take on a few small jobs from them as I could. A hard group to get away from there. I spent seven long years with those lads. Not a lot good in them, merciless attacks on villages and docks and the like, but I did what I had to do. Stole? Sure. Plundered? Plenty. Days and months tend to blur after many moons over the ocean, but I believe it's been about a year since I last worked under them. A couple of freelance odd jobs with any crew that would take me later, and I decided I was done working for anyone. I did what I had to do to survive, but now I'm ready to carve my own wake. Ah! It seems we're heading for a storm. It may not be wise to stay above deck for much longer. And this is where you find me today. Stood at the helm of my new lass, the sunken duchess. Nicked from my last band of merry men, foolish enough to give me work. <laughs> They'll not make that mistake again. Anyway, she's quick as anything. And I, I may have only had her a couple of days, but I think she can carry me forward for the foreseeable future. There is just me, my ship, and the open sea. That storm is closing in quick. It's not safe to stay out in the open much longer. The sea can be a dangerous place, you know. It all started many months ago. We followed the lives of our heroes as individuals first. Until one day, Brace found himself in Dyerfeld, the home of Ben, hungry, alone, and poor. Across the town square, Ben watched as Brace tried to haggle with a local merchant. He believed his charmed performance could distract the merchant and surrounding guards long enough to provide this unfortunate soul with something to eat. But Ben slipped across the square, destroying the merchant's cart, an act of vandalism which turned the town's guard against the two. As the town's guard gave chase, these two fled toward the edge of the city. After retreating to the mountain's edge, they find themselves backed into a corner. Outnumbered and trapped, these two seem hopeless. Seemingly from the sky, these two found Chrome, as he leapt down from his keep in the mountains. These three banded together and fought their way away from the town's guard. Gestured forward by a small dwarven figure, they retreat deep within to the mountains. They found themselves in some sort of enchanted cavern, lit by luminous crystals. As they ventured deeper into the cavern, the more they uncovered about the way of Gwivnu. They came across a cult of sorts surrounding a campfire with Gwivnu's golden hammer in the center. At this moment, the party realized Braish was brought as a sacrifice, his pilgrimage north ending in a sacrifice to his god. His newly found friends fought by his side to the fall of this cult. Braish reads a transcription on the statue. The blood of the gods will lift the fog. Slicing his hand, he places it on the hammer. The ground shakes and a staircase opens up to the summit of the surrounding mountains of the Valley of Shaw. At this summit, Ben, Crown, and Braish spot more beacons similar to the one they've just lit, scattered around the Valley of Shaw. Not knowing what to do next, these three slowly descend the mountain and are greeted by a collection of guards. Unable to escape from the grasp of the law, they fight their way through the city. Braish loses his life in this fight and Crown and Ben carry him back to Crown's keep. The following morning, Braish's body is nowhere to be seen and a small scaly creature is at the entrance to Crown's keep. This creature eagerly greets them and tells them of the nearest beacon. With the help from this small creature, the party successfully sneak outside Direfeld with no hassle. From here, this odd group venture across the open desert plains of Shaw. This party arrives at a derelict windmill west of Direfeld. They're greeted by a plethora of signs and inscriptions. They open up a deserted windmill to find a familiar cultist site. This time without hesitation, the party fought tirelessly through the cavern to a familiar site of Gwivnu's golden hammer. They ascended a similar staircase and lit the western beacon. Cram and Ben lost sight of their new scaly companion and in place found standing behind them in full armor, hammer and all, Braish. As they embrace, Braish has no recollection of the past 24 hours. 
They descend the tower, and their scaly friend is nowhere to be seen. The soil beneath seems even more dead than its usual desert itself, seemingly as an effect from the beacons, unnoticed by the majority of the party. They began the journey south toward Matterset and a third beacon. They made their way to the city of Tolls, run by the Randy boys, an old friend of Ben's. They were stopped at the border by a mysterious figure, who almost instantly recognizes Ben and invites the crew in for a drink. Ben catches up with old partners in crime, until a strange effect falls upon the group. All of them instantly fall unconscious. The party slowly woke one by one in some cell in a Matterset prison. As the party wakes, they spot a guard taking patrol down the hallways of the prison. A foreign species to some, but instantly recognized by Braish, a dragonborn. Eventually, the party sneak their way out of the prison, taking out guards as they could, using disguises to walk past hallways. They emerge from the prison on the outskirts of Matterset. Looming over them is a large, rocky figure, introduced as Baal, a friendly earth elemental that roams the forests of Matterset. He gives them shelter and protects them overnight. Knowing the geography, Braish instantly knows where to head, and seeks out his Goliath father figure, Bragon. He finds his old shack, and as he walks inside, he finds himself a familiar presence. Standing over a forge, a seven-foot Goliath working hard on Matterset Guard materials. He explains how he has a deal with the Matterset Guard. For their protection, he provides them with armor and weaponry. While the party are in Bragon's forge, they hear the incoming footsteps of the Matterset Guard. They all hide and overhear how Bragon is being treated by the Matterset Guard. As the town guard leaves, Bragon shows Braish and the party the fastest way to the next pillar of Gwivnu, the second last of four. They headed toward the cave as Bragon directed. They traversed down into a deep cavern and came across a swarm of goblinoid creatures, mining away at the edge of the cavern's walls. The party fought their way toward the goblins. During the battle, Baal fell unconscious. Brace channeling the power of Gwivnu uses a crystal found in a previous cavern to revive Baal. From here, the party continued further to light the third beacon. The party headed back into the slums of Matterset, back to Bragon's Forge. When they arrived, they found Bragon's Forge in a mess, tools scattered around the workshop and weaponry and armor stolen. Brace, heartbroken, stays the night in Bragon's, in his childhood bed. In the morning, Baal directs the party through the forest toward the fourth beacon. They head to a cliffside with a small collection of goblins sitting camp outside. After silently taking out the goblins, they creep further towards the cliffside. After investigating, the party finds that vibration knock latches on what seems like a door system. Eventually knocking their way through, they enter a very familiar site. A dark cavern, lit by luminous crystals embedded into the walls and floors. They gradually descend into a familiar yet still daunting cavern. They fight their way through hordes of goblins, seemingly on a similar journey to our party. They reach an ultimate dead end, from here they ascend the staircase to the summit of the mountains for the last time. When they reach the top, they see a familiar pantheon. A statue of the Hammer of Gwivnu. Braish once again embracing the statue, activates a beam of light uniting the three other pillars which sends a blast of energy throughout the valley, eradicating all forms of life into the valley below. The party filled with a sense of accomplishment yet regret descend back down from where they came. Reaching ground level they see white sand kick up around their feet and swirl in the slight breeze. As they step forward they hear a crunch like a creaking floorboard. As our beloved heroes look out into the valley, they see swarms of humanoid creatures surrounding Mount Shaw, the heart of the Valley of Shaw. As the party came closer toward what seems to be a gateway into the mountain, they began to recognize the humanoids. They were undead civilians of the Valley of Shaw. Creeping their way through, they entered Mount Shaw. As they entered, they are engulfed by a pristine, almost chapel-like interior. Inside, they're greeted by a group of Goliaths surrounding an altar. Insulted by their presence, the Goliaths begin to attack our heroes, but seem to be no match for them. 
Now in a room with a gang of dead Goliath and an altar, the party begins to look for ways to pass through this chamber. They notice a symbol of a smiling face and a sad face, as seen on scriptures of the other caves. By following tiles on the floor, they match the faces with the altar. The floor beneath them drops into what seems like nothing, an infinite fall into space. From the walls of the cavern emerges two stony, godlike creatures towering above our party. These creatures, only visible from the waist up, share exact proportions besides faces. With almost porcelain pristineness engraved into the face of each creature is a frown, and on the other, a smile, resembling the symbols engraved inside each cavern. These creatures were far more powerful than our party, but in the end were no match. With the final blows, the party wears away at these stony souls of the cavern around them. It then begins to implode, and they fall into nothingness, hundreds and hundreds of feet, until their vision is engulfed with nothing but a blue blanket. The party crashes into the largest body of water they've ever seen. The party wakes from unconsciousness after the impact, tied to a ship pirated by an elven-looking man, Ilrun Kifiel of the High Seas. He welcomes them aboard his ship and offers to transport them to the local trading cove. All the while, the party is astonished by the amount of water surrounding them. When they reach the cove, the party hop from shop to shop, greeting merchants and asking for trade. While inside a store, the energy of the cove shifts. Arriving are the Raiders of the Sea, a group of bandits described by Ilrun. The locals flee and hide for cover. The party takes cover behind some shack. They watch these brutes pillage and plunder the cove. Almost instinctively, the party jumped into fight, sealing a raider's ship and sailing away from the cove. They retreat to Ilrun's land, a small island west of the cove. Atop this island is a quaint cabin surrounded by trees. The party rests for the evening and regain their strength. In the morning, they're woken by cannons and sounds of incoming ships. The raiders of the sea had tracked their position and found Ilrun's hideout. Very quickly, our party was captured and taken by the raiders to a remote prison with all their possessions stripped from them. The party were no strangers to breaking out of prisons, and only after, after their capture, the party found themselves out and wandering the island which the prison was on. This leads us to where they are today. Hey guys, it's Joe. Um, I'm just taking this little time at the end just to kind of thank everyone who's gotten involved or reached out to um, Drungeons within the community. This little mini episode itself was voted into creation by the community of our Discord, Instagram, and Twitter. So this little section is just a huge thank you to everyone who's joined the community, reached out to us, and has just anyway been involved in this so far. A huge thank you to all those people. We've had a tremendously good response to the first episode of the series, and we can't wait until you see what we have in store. Make sure you guys do follow on all our socials, that's Drungeons and Daggins on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. You can find us pretty much anywhere. You can also join our Discord. It's linked in pretty much all our socials, and it's a place where you can see a little bit behind the scenes, chat to people within the community, including some of the guys on the podcast, not to mention there's facilities to play some D&D games of your own. I'd also like to thank our Discord partners, Frost Marches. These guys are a D&D Discord server which allows for people to chat anything D&D related and play some games within the server. These guys have been so, so nice to us, and we're just so happy to be partners with them. And to sum up, I'm just thanking everyone who's been involved and everyone who continues to support the podcast. You guys have been so awesome to us so far. Um, there's a whole lot more coming, so just stick around and make sure you tune in this Friday for episode two of Drenches and Dragons. 